I'll start this off. Um, welcome to another Alia graphic episode. My name is Tara and I'm the Library Collections Officer at Woolundilly Library in the Greater Sydney area. Uh, this episode, I'm very excited to present our international guest, Ashley Hawkins, all the way from New York City, um, also known as the Munger Librarian. Ashley has a YouTube channel um, called the Munger Collection Development, where she examines some of the challenges and nuances of Munger Collections for Libraries. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, before we start, I was going to say, I was looking up before pronunciation, because in Australia, we tend to say manga. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually, yeah, it's manga, because that's how they say it in Japanese. Um, but yeah, like a lot of people say manga. Um, that's probably how I said it for a really long time, because I, it's just, I think in English, it sounds more natural to us to say manga, yeah. because it's like mango. So it's yeah, like, it's to us, we want to hit that A a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in Japanese, the, the A is a little bit softer. So it's manga. Yes, thank you for clarifying, because yeah, I think we can, yeah, I wanted to know now, how is it said in Japanese? Because <laughs> that... We'll stick with that. Um, so that's great. So I thought we could start off with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and your work in manga collections. Yeah, so um, I am a school librarian. So I work as a campus librarian because New York City is a little bit weird. Um, our schools are are very unusually structured. Um, so I work as a campus librarian. There are three high schools on our campus. So on each floor, there's a different school. And I serve all three schools. But really, there's 1,500 students on in, in all three schools combined. So really, it's about what you would normally consider one entire high school in anywhere else but New York City. Um, but each of them has their own principles, their own kind of philosophies, and you know, they're kind of self-contained little units. Um, so I serve the Tilden campus um, in Brooklyn, um, and I work for the New York City Department of Ed. Um, I'm also the animation and illustration um collection con oh gosh i always get this mixed up content collection development um librarian for new york city so uh we have collections that are for the entire city and i actually do collection development where i select books pertaining to animation and illustration um so that's part of what I do, but also um, I do a lot of stuff pertaining to manga because it just kind of happened when basically people would ask questions about manga. And I have been reading manga since I was like 12 years old and I'm a huge big fan of manga and anime and video games and I'm really into the otaku culture and I just wound up naturally flowing into like answering certain questions and then that made me realize like this is actually something that I can assist other librarians in making collection development decisions in and it just kind of built out from there and now it's just the thing I do where I, I talk a lot about, here's how I make decisions, here's decisions I would make in also other settings because, you know, the decisions I make in my Brooklyn high school, because I get to be very, honestly, I get to be very liberal and I get to buy a lot of just whatever I want. And here's decisions I would make in other settings. And mm -hmm. um, here's, you know, the things I would consider if my community was like this or like that. And yep. here's things you might want to keep in mind depending on your setting. Yeah, yeah. 
it must be great to be doing something that you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, in saying that, I guess, just for like a quick overview of, of the manga genres, um, could you explain some of them for us? Yeah, so um, one thing to keep in mind is that um, I, this is actually something I've been delving into a lot in my channel recently because a lot of people think that genres are just shoujo and shonen and that it's just kind of separated from there. But shoujo and shonen are actually um, demographic categories. So shoujo is girls from, um, from about 12 to 18. And that's all that is. That just means that we're focusing on this particular demographic and that's the magazine where this manga was originally distributed was a shoujo, um, uh, a shoujo magazine. And it's a, you know, it's usually about this thick and there's like several chapters from various manga. And then eventually they get gathered into what are called tankaban, um, which are what we see as manga volumes. Um, so shoujo just means it was geared towards girls. That doesn't mean though that there aren't like characteristics that are, that are specific to shoujo or shonen. Um, because there are certain aesthetics and things, which is why it becomes confusing for people. Um, because there are certain aesthetics and there are certain things that start to pop up. Um, and shonen is the inverse, it's for boys for the same age group, so 12 to 18. And then there's also, um, those were actually the two originals um, because it actually goes all the way back to the early 1900s. Um, Japan separated uh, magazines in general um, between boys and girls because their schools were segregated. Oh. So there was a lot of segregated stuff. They did a lot of segregation along um, gender lines in terms of like, okay, here are the things for boys, here are the things for girls. Let's keep it all separate. So magazines for boys, magazines for girls everything kind of got streamlined that way. And that just became the setting for um, manga. Um, but yeah, eventually we had Jose and Seinen. Um, so Jose is for women, um, typically 18 to mid thirties is their target demographic. The thing is these are targets, so People older or younger may read these things. Yeah. Um, seinen is the inverse of jose, so it's college age and older men. Um, so we have like, you know, there's a lot of like trying to separate along these gender lines. Um, but there are, like I said, there are characteristics. Um, shoujo tends to be more, um, emotionally driven mm -hmm. um, and then shonen tends to be more action driven so a lot of and the thing is they'll share a lot of characteristics so um, one of my favorite series is Fushigi Yugi. Fushigi Yugi is shoujo but it shares a lot of things with shonen for a couple of reasons one of them is that Watasi Yu the mangaka behind Fushigi Yugi is actually really interested in shonen, and eventually she did a shonen series. Um, so there's like there are battles, there's um, there are action sequences and things, but ultimately a lot of the conflict is um, in terms of relationships. Um, there's a lot of friendship drama. There's a lot of stuff that's going on emotionally between the characters. So that's why certain things tend to be put into the shoujo like category is because they tend to be more emotionally driven and then shonen things tend to be about action and becoming more powerful and um a lot more 
external battles of like fighting against evil. Like there will be something evil sometimes in fantasy shoujo, but the that's just kind of the driving force. You're going to be more focused on what's going on between the characters, what the relationships are. And um, that's actually why like shoujo villains tend to have like huge followings because uh, oftentimes they're kind of redeemable and usually they're really attractive too. They're really attractively drawn. Um, but you'll learn a lot about them. And shoujo and shonen, the more you like talk about them, they, they start yeah. to mix up in your mouth. Um, shonen tends to be like much more, you know, there, there's like a defined bad guy mm -hmm. usually. Not that there aren't redeemable villains, but usually what'll happen is the redeemable villain will be not really the actual villain. He'll join with the good guys to then fight the real villain because yeah so there will always be like a higher guy that's actually the the main boss like in a video game so those are those are kind of the same kind of the things that'll define it but the thing is a lot of this will be interchangeable too and authors play with it also a lot of mangaka are very aware of like what the conventions of shoujo and shonen are so lately they've really been playing with them a lot mm -hmm. and poking at them so you'll see them really pushing on it and you'll see shonen that deals with shoujo sort of conflicts or vice versa and they'll kind of play with each other a bit so we're starting to see like blurring of the lines which yeah. like I said makes it very for somebody who's an outsider, it's like, what is, what is going on? What is this? What is that? How do I make? And ultimately, it's, you know. Do you think that's the way it's heading in the future? That the gender lines will disappear? Uh, it'll take a really long time. Yeah. It'll take a really long time. Shonen is a huge powerhouse in, of, in and of itself. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of vested, there's a lot of capitalist reasons why I think they maintain this line between the two. But I think we are gonna start to see more, and we are starting to see more artsy stuff that kind of is in the middle. So I don't know if there will be eventually sort of a middle category, mm -hmm. but we definitely see stuff that crosses the lines, but there's always going to be the hardcore shonen, and there's always going to be the shoujo that is unabashedly, like very flowery, very romance driven, very so you're gonna always have those extremes, but yeah, there is definitely stuff that's in the middle that sometimes you're like, you have to look up what magazine it ran in to like figure out is this shoujo or is this shonen and where does it fit? Yeah, so I can see like so you you've got the groups that are divided sort of as you said into gender lines and demographics. So how does this work in with publisher ratings? So the publisher ratings are more to sort of provide insight to both, mostly for purchasers. Um, and mostly because I think it was to sort of calm Western parent concerns. Um, because, you know, some of this stuff is like very it's very kid-friendly, very innocent, and some of it is not. Some of it's very explicit. It's for adults. It's written for adults, it's meant for adults, and shouldn't be in the hands of an eight-year-old. Um, it's, it's not written for an eight-year-old. It's written for like an 18-plus adult who is intended to be the consumer. So um, the rating system, is meant to kind of provide that clarity. And it's a big help, especially to school librarians, I think, because 
Um, at the very least, it gives you a guideline of what are titles that are absolute no's for my collection? Like what are things that just don't belong here? And then what are things that I can kind of say are a maybe for my collection? And then I go look at it a little bit more closely and then make sure it's a right fit. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a useful tool for a librarian because that that breakdown is really helpful because you know it goes from and it depends on the publisher too because each publisher kind of has their own because it's not a unified rating like here in the United States we have a rating system for music for example and it's unified it's done by MPAA and you know it's we have a set system and then this is like more the publisher is like well we think this is for kids we think this is for all ages we think so it it depends yeah. you also need to look at like you have to look at what they say um their rating system means because a couple of them have even changed it in recent years because they're trying to widen the range on certain titles because it can be a little bit deceiving sometimes, can't it? Like, you know, if you don't know what the content is and you're just, like, looking at the cover and this cute little um, character, but inside could be really some adult content. Yeah, yeah, it definitely can be. Um... Sort of can't go off face value, you know, yeah. Yeah, so the reading will definitely kind of guide you a little bit so that you know what you're looking at. Because, yeah, sometimes um, the cute character is just what's on the cover or there's like a mascot character that, you know, mascots are very popular. Or there's been some recent, there's this one series that's about to come out. I can't remember the title of it, but um it's about a, a demon who has been thrust into modern day Japan. And when she was a demon, she was like a super hot chick with like nothing on. But now she looks like a little kid in like a big t-shirt. And so when you see it on the cover, she looks like just this little kid. But then there's like content from when she was this demon and it's like very edgy and so if you look just at face value you might think oh this is a book about a little kid but actually it's like there's reasons why she looks like that so it's you know you have to be you do have to be kind of conscious of yeah and sometimes it's like a way of playing with things sometimes it's there's all sorts of things that are going on why some problematic themes throughout um some manga series as well um i think you touched on in some of your um one of your youtube videos um just on like even, even perceptions of how females are portrayed in certain series um politics and ideologies yeah, and those are all things to like be very aware of. Like I read, I actually just read a manga the other day that um, I was reading the galley for. It's not even out yet, but um, there's this sort of trope that I don't like. And it's where there's this character who's like supposedly very old, but they look like a 12 year old girl. And therefore, it's all right to look at them in a sexual lens because don't worry, they're like 500 years old, but the, the body of this character is a 12-year-old girl. I'm still not comfortable with reading this content. So for me, I was unable to get past the first chapter and it's like, there's, there's no way I'm buying this book. Like, absolutely not. Um, I'm not okay with this. And yeah, there is stuff that, it's just like any other genre of text. Like we have to be aware of what's in it. And just for me as a school librarian, like I'm, 
I have to be even more selective, I think, than a public librarian is because, you know, I've got to consider my students and what's appropriate and what, um, what I feel comfortable with sharing with them and um, what I want them to perceive manga as. So I don't want them to see manga as just this place where you get all the degenerate stuff. I want them to see it as like a valid medium where you can find really beautiful stories and really wonderful experiences. And so that's why selection is so important because I need to select the series that show the strengths of manga as opposed to, you know, the weaknesses of manga because there are definitely series that are not as great. Um, I was reading some tweets from, there's a translator that I follow, uh, Rachel Thorne, um, and she was talking about, she regrets some of her earlier translation work because she's like, listen, I improved some of my translations and I shouldn't have because those series became more popular than they should have because they were actually written really badly in Japanese. And what? And I wish they hadn't gotten as popular as they did. So it, which was an interesting perspective to hear. It's like, yeah. And of course she's able to like fix the translation. She's done hundreds of translations. She can probably make it a little bit more appealing and localize it in such a way that, so those are also things to consider. Like sometimes the translators are doing some legwork to make some series that maybe don't need to be localized, localized. Some series maybe do need to be discontinued and maybe don't need to be brought over because there's a ton that's published in Japanese, so. So translation is quite important then. It's actually, yeah, you want a good quality translated series. Yeah, translation is really important. And there are certain translators that um, I, I follow and I, I know when they've got certain things coming out. Um, I'm always really hesitant. I'm always really wary of like when manga publishers don't tell you who the translators are, because first off, that means they're not paying the translators well. And second off, um, that means I don't know who the, like, I don't know who's doing the translation. Is it just machine translation and then some Mm -hmm. just fixing? And I want an actual translator doing the work because, you know, that's part of the art of bringing it to the states. Translation's really important. Yeah. And I guess we're like, with everything we've just discussed, um, of course, for, you know, beginners to collecting manga or, you know, for, for us that don't have um, a deep understanding, we would be looking at where to go to for reviews, for quality reviews. Do you have any recommendations for that? I I have several people that I follow um, because I trust their reviews. Um, I, I use, there's a site called But Why Though podcast it's actually a site for a podcast but they've really branched out and they do a lot of really good reviews um and I'm actually a mutual follower of several of their reviewers so they they do really they do really good work um and then I also use anime news network um, they're like the big one and they'll give you reviews of basically everything that's coming out. Um, cause the thing is you're not going to find like, there won't be a review for everything that's reviewed by library reviewers. It's just not going to happen unless it's like a major title or something that's maybe up for an Eisner or up for any type of awards. Like, unless it's something like which had Atelier or The Way of the House Husband, something that's become like a blockbuster hit that's really, really popular in libraries. Um, you're really not gonna find 
like a school library journal or um, any of those type of reviews really available. So um, going to actual manga reviewers is probably going to be your best bet. Um, I also follow, there is a YouTuber called Simply G and she is actually based in Australia. And she's a good one to follow because um, she gives very honest reviews of what she's reading. And um, she, she does a very, she does a similar thing to what I do because I do a thing where every week I go through like what I'm reading. She does it on, on a monthly basis where she's like, here's everything I bought this month and here's what I thought of it. So she's a good one to follow to like, just see like, okay, here's every, and she, she reviews a lot. So her, her monthly reviews are usually like an hour and a half where she's just going through and then she'll time mark, like, here's where I talk about each like volume so I'd recommend her like she's a good follow um but yeah you can kind of find various people who um are writing reviews um trying to think if there's anybody else anime feminist is another one that I really like especially for like those particular issues like we were talking about like portrayals of women and political issues and things um they do a good job of discussing those and reviewing things in that context so they're a good um a good resource if you're selecting with those things in mind yeah yeah sounds good um I wanted to ask you also some some pretty library specific questions on particularly um Things like shelving, I was wondering now, do you do you shelve your manga in, does it have its own special collection um, or is it in with other graphic novels or is it in with the rest of the collection? So I actually have it separated. Um, I have graphic novels. <clears throat> so originally I had graphic novels and manga they were together, but they were still separate because we have a pretty big, because I'm, I'm the librarian, I'm the one doing all the selection. So I just naturally got us a lot of it. Um, and originally I had them together and just, I personally noticed in my library, it was causing a lot of frustration for both the manga readers and my regular graphic novel readers. They wanted them separated because um, at least in my, like I do have students who read both, but I also have the majority of them are separate. They do want, like they wanna see just the graphic novels or just the manga and they were getting frustrated with the combination. Um, So I ultimately put, okay, the graphic novels are here, the manga's here, and they're separate, and that makes everything easier. It also, it looks cleaner, to yeah. be honest. Um, now, the thing is, I'm a school library, so I can be, I can have those kind of very granular decisions, and they're easy to make, and they're also fairly easy for me to walk back. Um, if I ultimately decide that this is not working. Um, I think in a larger library, it could be, it could have its own problems or issues. Um, but for me, it really works. It, it works really well. I even have light novels separated too. Like mm-hmm. light novels are next to the manga because when I had them mixed in fiction, my light novel readers could never find them. Um, Cause originally my plan was like, oh, students will be able to just find light novels. And it just was frustrating the kids who were actually looking for them. So I put them next to the manga and they circulated way better that way. So. Yeah, that sounds really great. Um, when you, and when you shelve them, do you, now I know because, you know, there's, there's a lot of, 
um, variance between different libraries and probably even more so between um, different countries as well, because I know that usually American libraries um, use Dewey a lot, whereas we tend to only use Dewey for nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, for fiction, it's done by author. But then that can come a bit challenging with a manga series. Would you know some some are some have a spine label with author, some have with the title. What do you think is probably the best for um, accessibility, author or title? So. I do, so I follow the guidelines that are actually given out by the DOE, although we, per library, we are allowed to like change what we do because we are allowed to do what we want in our school library, but I follow the guidelines that are given, which are to, we actually do fiction as just fic and author, Mm -hmm. um, and then nonfiction is Dewey. And then I keep my graphic novels as GN, then the Dewey number, which is 741.5. And then the author, just because I want to keep it as I'm trying to, for me, I'm trying to train my students to be prepared for college. So that means I want to keep the classification system as close as what they're going to see in college as possible, especially being since um, my students, often I am the first library they've ever been to. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't necessarily have access, they haven't necessarily had access to an elementary or middle school library in New York City. So, and if they haven't been to their public library for whatever reason, this will be the first one they go into and I'll be their first introduction to a classification system. So I'm trying to mimic what they're going to see on a college campus as close as possible so that they have to learn that you have to search the number, you have to do this. So that's my just, that's my reasoning behind doing that. But I did ultimately pull them out and, you know, make it much easier. I still made findability a priority, but I make sure they can see that the number is right there. And I'll point it out too. Like, yeah, this is the number for graphic novels. Like, yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and probably on the same note with shelving, as you know, those series can get really, really long. We can get up to over a hundred volumes in a series. Um, and we can't, as libraries, we can't always, whether we haven't got the shelf space or space or the budget, um, what would your recommendations be? Do you know, do we just buy the first five? Do we try and buy it all if it's really popular? Um, what's your opinions on those sorts of issues? So... I actually just was talking with somebody about this the other day because they have really limited shelf space. And um, we, what, well, what I do is if it's a really long series, um, I'll first off, I usually buy the first three is my general thing. So you might want to buy the first three or the first five, depending on your personal preference. For me, I go first three. Um, I'm on a really tight budget, so I keep it as minimal as possible. And then I see how it does. And then I see if I have students begging, um, like, miss, I really need, I really need the next volume. I really need the next volume. If they're constantly bugging me about it, then I'm going to go find more. Um, we recently, um, moved to having a digital collection. And when I was talking to my colleague who has really limited shelf space, we suddenly realized like, oh yeah, we have a digital collection now with Naruto and Bleach and all these others. Maybe we only need the first three or the first 10 
And then everything after that is gonna be digital. And like when a student gets to a certain point in the physical volumes, we turn to them and say, okay, now it's time to go to Sora. Like, because we don't have the shelf space for it. Now, there's also budgetary constraints when you get to like series like um, One Piece, which is like, a thousand chapters at this point and could take up an entire wall in my library. Um, <laughs> yes. So with One Piece, what I've done is I've looked up what are the most popular arcs. So there are particular story arcs and Viz has actually done a really good job of like, they actually mark on the omnibuses like what story arc it is. And they say like, this is, I can't remember any of the names of the story arcs, but they say, this is this storyline. And so, you know, it's within this particular storyline. If you find out what the most popular ones are, you just get those. And then you just have selectively, because honestly, if somebody's a fan of One Piece, they've seen it all. Mm. They've honestly read it all. They just want to have it in their hands and look at it again. Um, because it's now it's so long that it has such a big entry point that it's now daunting. It's the same as like Marvel or DC. Like it's actually daunting to an outsider to yeah. get into it. So having just certain storylines and then saying to somebody who's interested in it, like, oh, this is the very popular storyline if you're interested, or these are the first three, see if you'll like it because this is a big time investment if you get into this series. Yeah, so. now that's some really good ideas there. I like the idea of, yeah, looking at the arc as well. Um, yeah, I, I struggle with um, that with the DC situation. With the with the Batman, so I sort of had to go through all that, and it was it was a bit of a headache for someone who doesn't follow it, and I had to look up reading orders, and um, yeah, so now that sounds really good. Um, and now I guess um, you've mentioned a couple of different series there, but I'm wondering if we can get maybe some of your top recommendations um for say the different probably the different age groups I, i'd say would be the easiest thing so um junior readers what would be your top pick um my go-to is always uh cheese sweet home um it's a, it's a manga about a cat um who lives with a family it's very sweet, very innocent. It's a Kodomo manga, which means it's a children's manga. Um, very, very readable for, the thing is it, it'll it circulate across all age groups. You could buy it for any library and it'll be really popular because it's so cute. Anybody will read it. Um, and it's, a, it's one where there's a cute character on the cover and that is what it is. It's just a cute character. It's just a cat. Um, and then I'll also recommend uh, Yokai Watch because it's just, it's a series that is just so popular across the world that maybe people wouldn't think of right off the bat because you'll probably think of things like Pokemon or Digimon or mm -hmm. those type of things and you, you've probably already purchased them already. But Yokai Watch is one that you might not think of right off the top of your head but when you have it you'll all of a sudden realize like oh a lot of kids are really into this and it's it's very similar in themes and everything to like pokemon and digimon it's the same sort of deal yeah so yeah. and i guess that would be pokemon would that be going into is that they're going into middle the middle grades like 10 to 12 that's a bit for younger do you think um some of them they're going to be different ones um they, they have a few different pokemon series some of them are going to be like totally fine for your really young readers and some of them are going to be a little bit more action-packed and will skew a little bit older yeah 
Yeah, the top pick for that age group then for 10 to 12 year olds, what would be? Um, so I'd say you could probably do the like first three volumes of My Hero Academia. Mm-hmm. Although past that, you probably want to be selective depending on your population. But the first three, the thing is like the first three volumes of most Shonen Jump stuff, um, first three volumes of Naruto are probably totally fine for that age group. It's just the intensity always builds up. And then honestly, a lot of the characters start to get older and then they do get older and they do age up a bit because their experience is growing. And so, you know, it starts to be less appropriate. So you might want a few volumes, maybe it depends on, it depends on your population though. Mm -hmm. But the first few volumes of My Hero Academia are very, they're very fine. Like they're, there's nothing in them. It's just about a kid who wants to be a hero. And that's a very, that's a very middle, middle grade story. Um, Shoujo is actually easier, I find, for middle grade because um you have a lot more like gentle sweet stories in shoujo um i really like kitchen princess um which is a an older series but it's about a young girl who um she is trying to find this boy who saved her life so she goes to this school and she just kind of wins everybody over by making really delicious food, um, which is really sweet. And um, there is quite a bit of drama. So there's just enough drama for that middle school, middle grade age, but it also has like a sweet um, niceness to it as well. And I also recommend, I always really recommend Flying Witch, which is just a really nice slice of life think of if kiki's delivery service was a little bit more modern that that's kind of flying witch so uh she's just living in kind of a regular japanese town and finding her bearings and learning to be a proper witch so sounds good um what about teen we'll say young teenagers 13, 16? Um, For Shonen, I'd say you definitely want to have, there's, um, first off, we're having a really big anime boom right now. Um, This particular season of anime is really great, but there's a series coming out this summer um, called Case Study of Vanitas. And I think that's going to be a really big one. So I'd I'd say try to have that on your shelf because first off, it's really beautifully done and it's a little different from most shonen because it's more of a mystery action sort of series. Um, I'd say grab that one. That one would be a really good one to have. Um, For shoujo, um, you wanna have Horimiya is usually my go-to for shoujo for this age group. It's just um, a lot of drama between friends. Um, it's a comedy drama. Like it's very, it's very readable. It usually gets, it circulates in my school among cross genders. Um, actually all of my manga does. My, my kids don't care if it's shoujo or shonen. As long as it's manga, they're gonna check it out. So, but that one in particular does really well, I think because it's really funny, so. Sounds good. Um, what about older teens? Um, the shonen I'd say you wanna have right now for older teens is Chainsaw Man. Um, that one is a little hard to describe, but it's incredibly popular right now. Um, I would just really want to have that on your shelf. Um, it's very, very popular. It kind of has some gore aspects to it, 
but it also has comedy. Um, it's, it's a good series to have. Um, and then um, a shoujo series that I'd say to have is um, A Sign of Affection, which is about, and this one actually takes place in a college, but um, it's a, a girl who um, only communicates through sign language who falls in love with a boy who actually can speak multiple languages but can't use sign, but they learn to communicate with each other and they fall in love. And it's a really beautiful mm -hmm. story and it has very accurate sign language depictions. So that one's, that one's just a really sweet, really well done story. Yeah, sounds nice. Um, what are your suggestions for the mature adult manga reader? Um, <clears throat> I would say one that I really liked was um, Life Lessons with Uramichi-san, or Uramichi-sensei, or uh, Uramichi-oni-san, Uramichi-oni-san, um, which was, which is a series about this children's programming uh, presenter who is having a midlife crisis. Um, and so he's doing all this like very bright, very happy um, presentation of like, you know, Mr. Rogers type um, programming, but he's saying like very nihilistic things about how horrible life is or how, work is how adult life is filled with drudgery and it's very very funny um and there's a lot of just panels of him saying things to children and them just staring back at him and I don't know it it's very well handled humor and I think it really works well for um like my generation of manga readers who are now looking for mm. stuff that is relatable to us. Yeah. I think that it works really well for my, my demographic. Um, I also really like uh, Annie Allen DeWilia, um, which is actually by the mangaka behind Witch Hat Atelier, which is one of my favorite series. Yeah. And it's kind of her gender flipped good omens and it's the hijinks of an angel and a demon but they're they're women and they just get into all these wacky hijinks and it's super it's very fun but it's also really beautifully illustrated because if you've read Witch Hat Atelier you know how beautiful that is it's the same quality of illustration but it's her doing something that's more adult and a little bit spicier and yeah so it's it's really interesting to see how differently she can write with a totally different prompt um and I'll always recommend The Way of the House Husband that's one of my favorite series Yes, I, I, I am actually thinking I, I'm going to have to purchase that one just for myself to have a look. It sounds really interesting. <laughs> um, well, that's great. There are so many really good suggestions there, um, which should at least get at least get people started and looking and and looking at the collections and seeing what we have and what we could do to um, get some more titles on the shelf. Um, now, where can we find you, Ashley, if we want to know more? Um, so I'm on YouTube as the Manga Librarian, but you can also find me at mangalibrarian.com. Mm -hmm. um, I, I put all my videos there too, um, along with uh, written blog posts as well. So there's like I've got a written post about the rating system and some other various things um, that I've written. Um, I wrote a whole thing about 
uh, Malay culture in, in terms of like how women are portrayed in certain types of anime and manga. So I do, I do quite a bit on there and that's usually where most of my stuff winds up. And then I, I'm on Twitter quite a bit at a, a vaguely library. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm on Twitter a lot. So those are places where you can find me. I'm, I'm pretty active online. Yeah. And I can, and for everybody uh, watching this episode, yeah, I can highly recommend Ashley's um, YouTube videos. You're actually putting out quite a consistent lot of content. Um, and I think the blog is really good as well because it just, yeah, you put more like resources um, and links to things that you're talking about in your in your video. So it's, yeah, it's really helpful, um, especially, you know, just um, for those of us, us that are starting out in, in manga collection or don't have like such a, um, haven't done a lot of reading, it's a really good place to, to start. So thank you very much for, um, for doing that. And, um, yeah, it's been really great to speak to you, Ashley. Um, we think we've learned quite a lot. And um, I really look forward to watching, to watching more, more of your YouTube episodes. And, um, yeah, thank you for coming on and talking to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm always, I'm always happy to talk libraries and manga. That's... That's my thing. That's what I love to do. <laughs> it shows. Thank you again. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for listening to Alia Graphic Podcast. Hit the subscribe button on our YouTube page and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Alia Graphic, email us at aliagraphicinfo at gmail.com and check our blog, aliagraphic.blogspot.com for updates, monthly roundups of news and new release titles.